Good afternoon and welcome to the Grok Science Show. I'm your host Samantha Thomas and today I'm joined by Dr. Marco Cavaglia to discuss gravitational waves. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Cavaglia. We're so happy to have you here today to talk about gravitational waves and the LIGO project. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be to be with you. So what in the world is a gravitational wave? <laughs> oh, so this is a very interesting question. We usually define it as a ripple in space-time. Yes. So what does it mean? Einstein told us that space is not flat, mass or energy curve space-time, and in turn, objects in space, in space-time, they move following the curvature of the space itself. So John Wheeler, uh, many years ago, said that matter tells space how to curve and space tells matter how to move. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the Earth is orbiting around the sun, not because there is a, a let's call it, old-fashioned force, uh, uh, Newtonian force between the sun and the Earth, but the Earth is simply following the curvature of the space-time that the Sun creates. So you have to imagine to have a, a, a trampoline or a membrane, and if you place a heavy object into it, the, uh, the, the membrane curves. And if you try to roll a, a marble, for example, onto it, it won't go on a straight line, but it will follow the curvature of the space that is generated by, by this central mass. Hmm. Now, these has interesting consequences. Einstein himself realized that just a few months after uh, publishing the equations of general relativity. And the consequence is that if you have uh, two masses, two objects that are moving and actually they are accelerating in space, they, they actually stir space-time and create uh, uh, ripples, waves of space mm -hmm. that propagate outwards with the speed of light. Those are gravitational waves. So what would it feel like if a gravitational wave was moving right in front of you? Okay, so gravitational waves are waves of space. So they actually warp uh, uh, the, the, the space-time dynamically. And the way you would notice a gravitational wave passing by is by the, the, the dynamical warping of the space. This means that if you place two objects in space and then you measure their distance, you would see their distance change with time. Not because anything is pushing on these objects, but because the space between them mm -hmm. is actually warping. So it's contracting and, then, and or expanding. So gravitational wave is a wave with a well-defined frequency. So you would, see, you would see space contract and expand with a certain frequency. And that's the way actually we, we measure gravitational waves. LIGO uses a device that measures distances in, in space and detects gravitational waves by looking at displacements of these objects. So what sorts of cosmological events could cause detectable gravitational waves on Earth? So the word detectable is very important here because any, any objects with an acceleration generates gravitational waves. So for example, 
in this moment I'm waving my hand uh, while I'm talking and I'm generating gravitational waves. But they are so tiny because gravity is so weak that, I mean, there is no way that I can measure those. So I need, we need the big objects with a lot of mass, in general compact objects, that move uh, rapidly so we can generate a lot of gravitational waves so gravitational waves with a high amplitude and with the right frequency that can be detected mm -hmm. and there are several uh, events in in the universe that can uh, produce gravitational waves that in principle we can detect one system is a pair of a binary system of uh, neutron stars and or black holes and actually a pair of coalescing black holes is what LIGO detected. These are very compact objects that orbit one around the other very fast until they merge and then can create very strong gravitational waves that can still be detected by the time they arrive at Earth. Another possibility are exploding stars, for example, supernovae, core collapses, supernovae. So when a star collapses, it can generate a strong burst of gravitational waves. So that's something that is powerful enough that we can detect. Another possibility are isolated pulsars, isolated neutron stars that have some asymmetry. So neutron stars are very compact stars. They have the mass of about the mass of the sun, but they have just a radius of about 10 kilometers. Uh, so they are very compact. And if by any chance they are not perfectly vertical symmetric, so for example, they have a small mountain on their on their surface. While they rotate, they can uh, create a gravitational wave. In this case, it's a continuous signal. So it's it's a signal at a well-defined frequency that it lasts for for a very long time. Another possibility would be a cosmological background of gravitational waves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, either cosmological background that originated just after the Big Bang, that would be a long shot to detect, but that's, that's a possibility. Or a background, a stochastic background generated by the incoherent sum of all sources of gravitational waves in the universe that we cannot resolve one by one. So for example, we expect to have a lot of binary pairs of black holes or neutron stars and so on that are a distance that we cannot resolve individually, but their gravitational wave emission will sum all together and create a background of, of gravitational waves. So those are essentially the four classes of uh, events that can create detectable gravitational waves by LIGO. Let's talk about LIGO for just a minute. Tell us a little bit about the group of people who have been working on, on this project. Yes, so uh, one of my colleagues, she's used to say that it takes a village to do this kind of science, and that's really true. The LIGO collaboration right now is slightly above 1,000 members. Mm, wow. We are uh, from over 80 institutions worldwide from 15 countries, and we all work together on different aspects of the project. So there are people doing... Um, working on the instrument itself. We have uh, data analysts uh, looking at the, uh, at the output of, of the machines. We have astrophysicists, we have technicians, we have engineers, uh, all sorts of uh, people. So it's a, it's a very diverse collaboration, both in terms of, uh, you know, geographical and ethnic diversity and uh, as expertise. 
And how about the detector itself? What's it, what does it look like and how does it sense these waves? So LIGO stands for Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. So it's one observatory, but we have actually two detectors. One is in uh, Hanford, Washington, on the southern eastern corner of Washington State. And the second one is in Livingston, Louisiana. So we have two detectors, and these two detect we have two because we want to make sure to detect you know, gravitational waves coming from space. So we need to do some coincidence. In other words, we need to record the same signal at essentially the same time. So we, just to make sure that it's not an artifact or some disturbance due to, uh, due to Earth. So what, what are these two detectors? So they are interferometers, laser interferometers. And the way they basically work is we have a laser source, very powerful laser, and the laser light is split into, into two 50-50 by what we call a beam splitter. So think about a half a silver mirror that reflects half of the light and let half of the light go through. These two beams that are split at orthogonal directions, they travel for four kilometers in two ultra-vacuum arms, steel tubes, until they reach the end, they bounce on mirrors, and they are reflected back towards the, the beam splitter, where they recombine, and then with a photodetector, we look at the interference of these two recombined beams. So why do we do this? We do this because gravitational waves warp space, so they change distances. So if a gravi when a gravitational wave passes by, it expands the, the space along one direction and it contracts the distance, the space, along another direction. And that makes the interference of the two recombined beams change. And that's what we can detect, we detect with a photodetector. In other words, LIGO is, uh, is like two, uh, long rulers in orthogonal directions and what we we do is to measure the difference between the distance from the beam splitter to the end mirror in these two two orthogonal directions and compare them so when a gravitational wave passes by if we see any difference then then we can detect detect the gravitational wave what has your role been in the LIGO project well, for the past few years, uh, I've been working in uh, detector characterization. So detector characterization is essentially, we could define it as cleaning the data that come out of the interferometer. You can imagine that any physical disturbance on, uh, on Earth or any artifact in the instrument tries to corrupt the, the data that we uh, that we get. For example, if there are earthquakes or uh, seismic activity or storms or any disturbance can actually affect the quality of the data. And and also, for example, artifacts in the instrument itself, I mean, due to electronics and so on. So tell us a little bit about the day the signal was detected. Was this something that was expected? Or was it a surprise? 
We in so the, the, we we recorded the, the the signal on September 14th last year, mm. and we have just started uh, um, taking data with with the new advanced LIGO. So this is the second let's say the second phase of LIGO. We took data for several years, and uh, we ended in 2000. 10 with what we call initial LIGO, so it was an initial version of the interferometer. And then we did an upgrade for, for about five years to make it more sensitive. So we had just started taking data in, uh, in September. Actually, the, the official starting date of, of the observing run was a few days after September 14th, but we were already taking data as if we were in a, in an observing run. So it was just just a matter, you know, of declaring the start of the observing run. So the instruments were working perfectly; they were extremely stable and they were providing very good data quality. So we were expecting to see something with advanced LIGO because it's a very sensitive instrument. If we were surprised that it came so quickly, personally, I I was. Nature really did us a favor, you know. Nature gave us this beautiful event right at the start. So it was it was a surprise that it came so soon, but it was not a surprise at all that it came. Okay. How did you figure out what the event was once you saw the signal? So. Yeah, this is a very interesting question. Different sources of gravitational waves create different kind of signals. So, for example, two spiraling and merging black holes create a wave, a waveform, that we call it like a chirp. So it's a wave that has increasing amplitude and increasing frequency. And it lasts typically in the detector for maybe a few a few hundred milliseconds. Mm -hmm. This wave is very different from, for example, from a gravitational wave generated by a core collapse supernova. In that case, it will just have, it will be just a sudden burst of gravitational waves without this clear chirp-like structure. So by looking at the waveform, we can tell what kind of object created the wave. Then, of course, it's much more complicated than that. We have to do what is called parameter estimation on uh, uh, on the waveform to be able to, for example, to tell uh, what is the mass of the objects that that merge and create the wave, if they are black holes of neutron stars and so on. So, but in in a few words, the theory tells us what kind of wave a certain object would create, and then we match the theoretical prediction to what we observe in the detector, so we are able to say what was the source of the wave. So this finding is coming exactly 100 years after Einstein predicted it. His theory has already been generally accepted, correct? This is not making physicists rethink their models. So, um... It's true. Einstein theory was checked many times in the past uh, 100 years. It started a few years after Einstein formulated the theory in 1919. It was the first experimental verification of the theory uh, with the Eddington experiment. 
But it's also true that in this past 100 years, we only tested uh, general relativity in a weak regime. Uh, so when gravity is, is relatively weak, for example, general relativity prediction matches what we observe uh, with the bending of light around uh, around the sun. This, this was the Eddington experiment, or with uh, other experiments that we can do in the solar system. But we never tested before LIGO detection general relativity in a strong regime. So really when gravity is very strong. In this case, we measure, we did a measurement of gravity, of general relativity, with two black holes merging when gravity is extremely strong. So in a certain sense, we confirmed general relativity also in a regime that had not been tested before. And this is very important because if we expect general relativity to, to be changed or to be improved, it's certainly in this strong a strong regime, not in the weak weak regime as we can measure in the solar system. So I think it's very important. Um, one one of my colleagues said that uh, we we always measure the general relativity as in a in a calm setting, and this time we measure general relativity in in a storm. So we touch the storm of general relativity. Another exciting avenue is the possibility of using these waves to learn more about the universe and even the early universe. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what kinds of things we might expect to be able to learn? It gives different information than electromagnetic waves, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, it was very exciting. We had this first detection, but this is just the beginning. So we expect more detections in, uh, in, in the future. And with more detection, what we can start doing is really some, uh, some physics, some astrophysics. Mm -hmm. So for example, we would be able to tell uh, how many, for example, black holes form uh, in the universe. What are their masses? Before LIGO detection, we didn't even know if black holes uh, with a mass of 30 or more solar masses existed. Mm. We will be able to tell uh, more about the structure of neutron stars when we will detect mergers of neutron stars. We will be able to say more about our formation. So there are a lot of information that we can gain with gravitational waves that we will not be able to get from electromagnetic waves. For example, there is no way that you can actually probe the core of a supernova with electromagnetic waves, but if you use gravitational waves, then you can, you can map the core collapse of supernova. On the other hand, it's not only astronomy, it's also physics, fundamental physics, because it's true that this first detection seems to confirm general relativity perfectly, but it's just a first detection. So with more detections and the statistics, we will be able to probe more general relativity and fundamental physics. For example, we put a limit on the mass of the graviton with this detection, but with more detections, we will be able to improve on this limit and to say more about the fundamental nature of gravity itself. 
And then there, of course, there is the unexpected. So every every time we open a new way of looking looking at the universe with a new instrument, we always found something that was unexpected. So that I think will be even even more more exciting. You mentioned gravitons. Is the energy in gravitational waves carried by a graviton the same way photons carry the energy of electromagnetic waves? Uh, haha, I, I'd like to know the answer to that question because I will probably win a trip to Stockholm. <laughs> um, so if, if gravity behaves like other forces, then we expect gravity to be carried by a wave particle object, like for example the photon. And we have, we have a name for the particle of gravity, which is the graviton. Now, of course, we don't know yet because we don't we don't have a theory of quantum gravity. But essentially, essentially, uh, yes. If I had to to bet, I would bet that once we'll have a theory of quantum gravity, we will be able to describe gravity gravity as also in terms of particles as the graviton. And will that information come out of CERN? Yes. So. Um, there are at, at CERN there are a lot of searches for uh, you know quantum gravitational effects. For example, there are searches for extra dimensions, uh, searches for uh, the graviton, the particle of gravity. There are some models, some theoretical models that predict, if if they are true, that CERN could see. Um, some uh, quantum gravity effect, for example, if large extra dimensions exist. So I would say that for these kind of studies, CERN is probably, if we are going to see something experimentally, CERN is probably the place where we'll see this. Okay, and one final question. Um, the earliest information we have after the, the Big Bang is coming from the microwave background radiation. Would gravitational waves extend our ability to see right after the Big Bang even further? Definitely. So uh, with electromagnetic waves, what the earliest time that we can see is is about 300,000 years after the Big Bang, and it's the cosmic microwave background. We can get some, I would say, indirect information about earlier times, for example, by looking at the abundance of elements in, in the universe, uh, by looking at what nucleosynthesis predicts. But we cannot go really close to time zero. We simply don't know the physics there. Gravitational waves were produced just after the Big Bang. And as far as we know, they were produced very early, extremely early, at what we call the Planck time, which is something like T, uh, 10 to the minus 43 seconds mm -hmm. after Big Bang, according to, you know, to the standard model. So detecting a cosmic background of gravitational waves will give us information information about very early universe, so about inflation and even before before that. 
and be able to discriminate between models like, uh, you know, the standard model or alternatives to Big Bang like, uh, you know, uh, string theory models or brain models and so on, these exotic models. That, that's a long shot for LIGO, so the sensitivity of LIGO is is a few orders of magnitude away from, you know, uh, detecting a cosmic background of gravitational waves, at least as the, the standard, you know, the standard model predicts. But there are other experiments for gravitational waves that are, are working just to do, just to do that. Anyway, it, it will really, detection of gravitational waves from primordial gravitational waves will give us a lot of information about the origin of the universe itself. That would be very exciting to see. I think we'll wrap up there. Is there any last thing you'd like to say? Um, not really, apart from uh, that has been, has been really, really exciting. My colleagues and I uh, have been working for, for many, many years towards the detection of gravitational waves. And uh, some of my colleagues really spent the whole of their career, uh, spending many decades in, uh, in, you know, in, in designing, building, and in the instrument to make it work. So we knew that the theory was correct, the instrument was working very well, but nevertheless, it was really very exciting when we first saw the, uh, that beautiful signal of two black holes. So we could not have hoped for a better way to start advanced LIGO. So we are still all excited. And there will be more to come. We still have to analyze a couple of months of, of data that we have taken. And later this year, we'll go back online with even a, a better instrument, a more sensitive instrument. So Stay tuned because there will be many more exciting news from, from LIGO. We certainly will, and we can't wait to hear more from you guys. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cavaglia, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Once again, that was Marco Cavaglia from the LIGO Project. Thanks for joining us. For more from us, visit our website at grox.net and tune in next week. For Charles Lee Franklin and the rest of the Grox crew, I'm Samantha Thomas. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.